it's just it's kind of neat how uh, the Holy Spirit works in a in a Sunday. I'm going to go over some of the same tracks our Sunday school teacher, Brother Rick, laid out for us today. Our temporary Sunday school teacher today. <coughs> I'm always obligated towards anybody who puts time in. The decorations in the church are just beautiful. The ladies spent a little time on that. I says, we've got to get some Bibles and put them up there. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. Mark chapter 13, verse 10. Promise of the end times. And pub published in biblical terms means to be proclaimed, to be put forth, and to be, uh, they didn't have much in print that time, but to be written down. And so... Uh, that's what we're thankful for, that we have a Bible in our midst that's been published since the beginning of time. And we're going to look at one of the first chapters in it this morning. Where I'm going to believe I'm going to go to chapter 3 right away. Chapter 3. And we talk about the serpent. That serpent is mentioned in the Bible all through it. And no time do you see the word serpent ever talked about in a positive format. We're talking about the fall of man, but we won't dwell there greatly. The title of my message would be the three crosses, the first three crosses you find in Scripture. This Bible is laid out line upon line, according to Isaiah 55, I believe it is 55, 11, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. And we're going to see a precept laid out here in the ancient text, as they would take the liberty to say, but the old text of Scripture. And it's going to be the principle of blood being shed for mankind. There's over 27 nations right now, yet to this day. Denominations, I should say, some of them are nations that still practice the blood being shed for remission of sin. Now, to some degree or another, that can be elaborated upon. But in most cases, other than the Christian, us as a Christian nation, it's only in our proper perspective. Uh, a thing I learned a long time ago when I talk about Scripture or when we talk about uh, vegetarians, and I got a little sign on the refrigerator. It says, what, smoked, canned, freezed, Alaskan wildlife, preserve it forever, something to that, to that thing. Something has to die for something to live. Jesus Christ died spiritually, for us to live spiritually. And I had a vegetarian sit at my kitchen table one time, and my wife diligently made a huge salad, and the little individual announced that they were a vegetarian and laid the magazine down pertinent to her beliefs. And I says, why are you a vegetarian? And I can respect a, a reasonable answer, but her answer was, I don't want to kill anything. Now, I feel pretty comfortable with this in Alaska, but, you know, I've been approached several times by individuals at the airport asking me if I was going to hunt fish or prey while I was up here. <laughs> and uh, they made me feel guilty for the first two. They, as far as they were concerned, they didn't want me to do any of the above. But she said, the little lady said, uh, I don't want to kill anything. And I says, you know, my wife went out into the garden this morning and pulled those carrots up in your salad by their ears. And I says, she cut the head right off that lettuce 
And it's probably screaming on your plate right now. The person had missed the principle that something has to live or something for something to live, something else has to die. And the whole point of this is laid out right here in Scripture. In the first three chapters of Scripture, after the creation, it's laid out one of the first principles. Jesus Christ talks about the cross and how he's going to die at the cross for us to live spiritually. He took on man's kind, man's shape. We're created, and I'll, I'll touch on that too. Uh, let's go back just a page or two. And he said, um, when he makes, okay, it'll be, and the Lord formed man out of the dust. This is Genesis 2-7. Go back just a page or two. And the Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted in the garden eastward. Uh, and the generations of heaven, the heavens and the seed shall be made in God cremated, okay, go back over to verse, chapter 1, verse 27, 26, we'll pick it up. And God said, let us, now who's he talking to? Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Three times he uses the plural, uh, the plural meaning three. He's talking to, talking to God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creepy thing, creepeth, creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Now, we're made in God's... This is a principle I want to lay down as we move into this. He says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Now, what's an image of God? I preached in a black church one time, and I was shocked at the picture they had hanging on the wall. It was a fellow with an afro, and he was very, very, very dark-complected, and below it, it said, Jesus Christ. I was in a German church, a Lutheran church to be exact, and they had a guy there with blue eyes and blonde hair, Jesus Christ, hanging on the wall there in the picture. An image is what a picture of. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Brother Larry, or look at, I'm picking on you today, Brother Larry, but I'm going to ask you to pray when we're all done today, so I, I want to hear you in church just one time more before you leave. Uh, look at Brother, you want to look at somebody else, look at Brother Russell, he's created somewhat in God's image. <laughs> That's what you are, you're created in God's image, and so is, so is Mrs. Russell for that matter. You want to know what God looks like? He's got two eyes. He's got two ears. He's got a mouth. He's got stature. He's got height. He's got muscles or the lack thereof in the right places. He's perfectly and anatomically correct. And he is God and that you're created in his image. You don't have to conjure up this mystical monster or this wonderful thing. He's not the air. He's, he's, he is the air in the fact that it's his breath, and that's the Holy Spirit. But we're, gonna, we're not going to go all over the place. I, I'm starting in the book, and you know, when I start at the beginning, you know it's going to be a long message. You heard about the preacher started in Revelations. Everybody was happy because he was already at the end of the book. Well, we're at the beginning of the book, and I want to I just touch on a few things. So we're created in God's image. What's his likeness? What's God's likeness? Well, Brother Larry, is that your a biological brother there? Yeah. Okay. 
they're, 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 they're going to be a lot alike. I can see by the smiles on their face, the way their ears turn up and the wrinkles around their eyes, they're a lot alike. Inside, they have some attributes we'll never recognize. That's their likeness. You're like God. You want to know what God's like inside? He gets angry. Oh, really? I thought that was sin. No, the Bible says be angry and sin not. Don't sin. But you can be angry. He says he's jealous. He's got the likeness of humans. We're just a little bit of what God is. He gave us some of his attributes. Not all of them, but he gave us some of them. And that's what's different from us and the angels. See, the angels, we're a little lower than the angels. The Bible says that. He says that Jesus Christ came down to earth, took on the form of a man, and became lower than the angels. The angels have more of God's likeness than we do. They get madder. They get hotter. They get excited. They get nervous. They, we're, God is like us. Without sin, of course. And there's some things that are brought about of our characters that are an attribute from the world we live in and a result of sin in our lives. But you want to know how God thinks about things? He thinks about them pretty much like you. In fact, as we mature as Christians, we're to achieve the mind of Christ. And you want to know what that mind of Christ is? It's right here in Scripture. So keep, keep that in mind as we go to Genesis chapter 3. For God, and the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. What did she do there? I, I think I read that a little different when I read it the first time. But the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. We talked about gout, doubt. And what is the serpent's trick? The serpent throughout Scripture, and you read in Revelations chapter, oh, I think it's around, I got a note here, Revelations 20 somewhere talks about the old serpent, the devil, all through Scripture. He's addressed as a dragon, the serpent, the devil. And uh, what does he do? The first question you'll ever see in Scripture was put forth by none other than Lucifer himself. And he doubted and spread doubt about God's word. For God doth know in the day that ye eat thereof, you shall be, oh, you shall be, your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise, there's three things that came, it was good to eat, good to look at, and it was to be desired. A little bit like pornography. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now, we like to blame Eve for all the problems in the Garden of Eden, you know, and the sin and the curse, and that's where we're going to go here in just a minute. Because for something to live spiritually, something has to die. And they, Adam and Eve are, are dying here spiritually right now. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and 
they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence. And as the, the, the thing develops, we look at verse 10. Notice that. I want to pick up, you know, we blame it on Eve, but where was Adam? He was back behind her. It says they, and it says, you know, but the serpent addressed her. Now, we won't get into anything offensive towards ladies as far as what we'd like to call the weaker vessel. I don't, I, I believe the scripture says that. The weaker vessel is the way God made women because they're not to be the, the leader at times, but they can qualify and can lead. And so, uh, I'm getting off track, so the Holy Spirit's telling me, you better get back to where you want to be or you're going to get yourself in trouble here pretty quick. <laughs> and so uh, that all put aside and those debates and those things put aside, Adam had a responsibility towards his wife. And here she's talking to some devil, and what, he, what is he doing? Sort of like the first time I was at a roller skating rink with my date. She's sitting right there, and I got roller skates on, and she's got her roller skates on, and an old rival of mine comes up to my wife and puts his arm around her and says, how you doing, cutie? Wasn't my wife yet, was my girlfriend. I couldn't get out of those skates fast enough. I mean, I, st I just dropped and started tearing off skates, and he got out of there before my skates were off. Adam had a responsibility there that he relinquished. And don't tell me God doesn't understand those things. We just went over how he's cre we're created in his image and in his likeness. And Adam and Eve were too. And so those things were going through somebody's head. And those things happened. And uh, here it says, And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Now, he didn't address Eve first, did he? He addressed Adam because he's responsible. The husband, the male, the father, the head of the home, we like to throw that head in there because I happen to be a male, but he's responsible for the spiritual condition of the home. God didn't address Eve. He addressed Adam. Now, he knew Eve sinned, but who did he address? He addressed Adam. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Circle them. There's four of them there. You start thinking, I, and the fifth one is down in verse 11. And he said, and he told thee, that thou, who said thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree wherefore I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? He lost his peace with God there. And the man said, thou... The woman, listen to this courageous individual, and the woman, and the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to me, with me, she gave me of the tree, and there's his fifth eye, five is the number of death and grace, and Adam stepped in it right there. The woman you gave me, I did eat. And the Lord, was, Lord said unto the woman, what is that that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord said unto, we got that because we got missionaries coming in, and they're, they're in a panic on Alaskan time. They don't understand Alaskan time. They're Yankees, and they come up here, and they are completely ob oblivious of Alaskan time. 
<laughs> we'll train them this week, though. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this. So here's the Lord. He's got poor little Eve there with her hands dirty. He's got Adam who's insulted his intelligence. And now he's got the serpent standing there with a snicker on his face. He was standing there like a possum eating sawdust. And the Lord focuses on him and says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all the cattle and above every beast of the field. And upon the, thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity, that's I will put disagreement, between thee and the woman. You're not going to be so appealing to him anymore, uh, to her nature anymore. You're not going to be... Huh? Yeah, that's way, I don't know, some, people, some women are afraid of snakes, but some guys are too, you know that. Uh, and so he fires on them, and he says, I, thy, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And I've talked about that, mentioned it once before. There's a picture of Christ already, and what he's going to do for us. On the cross. You see, Mary birthed the child. And in, I think it's Romans, I got down in my notes, chapter 16, verse 20, it talks about how we'll bruise Satan's head when we accept Christ as our personal Savior. Romans chapter 16, verse 20. You see, he told Mary, you're going to birth a Savior, and it's going to hurt you, but it's going to hurt his head worse. Can you imagine what went on as Christ came to this planet and he was, in car he was, he was given human flesh and he took on human flesh and he had to humble himself and then to face the devil? That's why the devil had the brazen audacity to take him up on the, on the mountain and say, fall down and worship me. Because he knew in the flesh Jesus Christ wasn't as strong as he would have been in the spirit. Jesus Christ worked on that and communed with his heavenly Father so that he voluntarily went to the cross in obedience to his Father that you might have eternal life. He died spiritually so that you could live spiritually. And so, Jesus Christ is mentioned there in Scripture. He's telling Eve that. He's, he's got some sympathy on her. And he says, But you in conception and in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thou does, does, does thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Ooh. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, thou hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. How many times, brother, have you been in pulling thistles in Kansas? I mean, those thistles were brought to Kansas, the beautiful prairies, by the Russians, you know, Putin did everything, and I think he ordered thistles over there eventually. No, isn't that how it works? But they were brought over by the wheat that the Russian immigrants brought to the Plains area of the United States. Canadian thistles, we call them, because we're in America. And they didn't have too many in Canada until just rather recently. And I've seen some right here on the, off the streets, off the pass, Canadian thistle. Big, ugly thing. But we have our own weeds, don't we? We have what they call devil's club around here. Man, that stuff is nastier than thistles. The only difference is I don't know if it's poisonous to livestock, the, the devil's weed, but I know Canadian thistle is. So that's, it's, an, it's a toxic weed. 
uh, they to, they're going to probably start smoking it. You'll probably be able to buy it down here at the <laughs> across from the harbor. <laughs> the whole, <laughs> who knows? But the Canadian, we have, every time I've pulled a thistle in my life, every time I've looked at one, this verse comes to mind. And when I'm bent over shoeing a horse, or when I'm bent over uh, picking up the Bibles, or I'm bent over vacuuming this floor here, uh, and we're going to have some sweat here pretty soon when we replace the carpet. When I get sweat down my face, it reminds me of that curse. It reminds me how something has to die for something else to live. When you plant a seed in the ground, it has to die before it can germinate and live. Isn't that just something? But I, I, I want God wants me to park there a bit uh, in relationship to the message. But look where we're going here. Thorns also and thistles shall bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. I don't know who herb is, but I'm worried about him. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Thou shalt return unto the ground, for out of it was take, thou taken. For dust thou art, and dust thou shalt return. And Adam called his wife Eve because he believed, and listen to me, I'm misquoting it, because he believed God and took him at his word. What does it say there? It says, and Adam called his wife Eve. Eve means mother of the living. Because she was the mother of all living. He knew from her and his loins everything that was going to have life on this planet in a human form came from. And he took God at his word and trusted God at his word. And hence God said, okay, you're listening to me now. I have your attention. Let's go to 21, which is the first cross you'll see in Scripture. Unto Adam also he and his wife did the Lord make coats of skin and clothe them. Something had to die for them to live. Those goats, those sheep, those, it says in there, what does it say? It says, wife did he make them coats of skin. It was either goats, could have been a gazelle, I don't know. Could have been a black buck or what do you call them here, uh, black tails? But it had to give up its life. Blood had to be shed. The concept of blood being shed to cover mankind's sin is right there, the first cross in Scripture. And when he butchered those animals, he took them out right in front of them because until then, I don't believe much had to die. They had a little garden in the Garden of Eden, but the fruit was falling off the trees, and they ate that. And any of these, there is something to be in a vegetarian. There is something to be health food nut. The more nuts and berries you eat, the worse you get. No, the more nuts and berries you eat, the better you get. Uh, a lot of times. My wife's got a bean soup that'll kill you, though. Ah, uh, no. <laughs> and so, and so God, takes those, God takes those things. It's good soup. You know that. God takes those things, and he provided them for them. But now all of a sudden, he had to go over there, and he grabbed that. I'm, I'm going to take a little liberty here, and he grabbed that goat. I don't know for sure if it was a goat or a sheep. And he grabbed it, and he drug it over there, and he says, because you sinned and you're naked, and now you know the difference between being naked and not being naked. You know the difference between good and evil. You're not innocent anymore. You have enough cognitive skills. You always had enough cognitive skills, but now you're going to be cute, confused with what's right and what's wrong. I'm going to cut this thing out, bleed it out right here, and it's going to whimper and squirm, and I'm going to take its hide off, and guess what? We're going to rub a little salt on it, and you're going to wear it. That's a picture of what I'm going to have to do with my son to cover your sins eventually. 
My son's going to come down to this planet, and he's going to shed his blood, his innocent blood, so you'll, your sins and your children's sins and everybody else who you're the mother of living will come and be covered by my son's blood. First cross in the Bible. Oh, I don't know. You're reading a lot into that verse. Oh, am I? Go, to, go over to the next chapter. How many verses do you got to cover before? I think it's 11 verses you cover before you get to the second cross in Scripture. The second cross in Scripture is, and Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and I have gotten a man from the Lord. She was pleased with a man. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was help keeper of the sheep, but Cain was tiller of the ground. Remember, they came out of the garden. They didn't come out of the stockyard. They didn't come away from the feed trough. They came out of the garden. They were expelled from the Garden of Eden. Okay, where are we at? And in the process of time, that's the first time the word time shows up in Scripture. Adam and Eve had already matured or were born. I don't believe they, were, they weren't birthed. Adam and Eve were already created as an adult but they were at the age now and had come about to the, a place in their lives where they were going to be able to bear children. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought forth fruit from the ground. Now, these aren't kids anymore. These two were born here on the earth. And from verse uh, 1 to verse uh, 3, the process of time, how many years do you think, how old were they? Well, they were independent. Yeah, they wish they were. If, if most 15 and 16s, you wish they were. I'm, I would go as far as say they were probably maybe 15 at the least, 21, 20, 30. Hebrew culture says you're an adult at 30. They also say you're a teenager at 13 and you get your bar mitzvah and your folks let you go and they don't, they're not responsible for you unless you want to put yourself under their care. But they had several years had passed. And you're going to see here an argument, a challenge takes place between God and the perpetrator here who killed his brother over the blood sacrifice. So they had to, short 15, 20, 30 years at the most, the concept of blood being shed for mankind's sin has already been established. First two boys in Scripture, first two young men, they come to mature, and they're, what are they doing? They're, they're repeating the sacrifice. Do you think these two guys just come along and say, hey, uh, uh, you know, uh, let's, have, let's just worship the Lord today. They were taught by the head of the family, by the people involved in the family, and they were handed down and told about the dramatic day blood was shed for their sin, and they were to repeat that in their Daily, I don't know if it was a daily worship, weekly worship. It was on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. That's what it was. No. And so, and it says, and in the process of time, it came to pass. Cain brought forth the fruit of the ground, offering it unto Lord, the second cross. And Abel, he also brought to the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain... And to his offering, he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, with his, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou, why, why art thou wroth? 
Why is thou countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. Oh, there was a standard already laid out. Jesus Christ, or God in the Trinity, in his part in the Trinity, us in our image, remember? Jesus Christ was around, the Holy Spirit was around, and they were there when that, we'll take it, they say flock, so we're going to go goat and sheep again. They were there when that all happened. And they explained what was going to happen. And as a result of that, several years later, they're still celebrating that fact that one day our sins are going to be forgiven. One day we won't have to do this every day. But you see, Cain, I get names bad. Cain, which one lived? Cain killed Abel, right? Cain decided, I'm going to do it my way. I don't think we need to shed blood. I'm a vegetarian. No, I'm not picking on vegetarians. There's good attributes. He's saying, I'm going to do, I'm going to earn my way. I'm going to earn my forgiveness from God. I'm going to earn my respect from God. And when this is all done, he's going to go, oh, you had such nice potatoes and such nice lettuce. It looks so great. I think I'll take that home, put it on my salad, make salad out of it. No, God says, blood has to be shed to cover your sins. Something has to die for you to live spiritually. I'm going to send my own son, my very own son, down to the earth to die for you one day. You don't believe he had it all worked out? Well, my Bible says before the foundation of the world, he did five things. God did five things, and I'll get you the message one of these days. But one of them was he laid out the plan of salvation before the world was made. See, God created us in his image and in his likeness, and he wanted complete fellowship with us. He had that in the garden, but he had blind obedience to us. So he says, you know, I want these people to have a choice. So then he took and said, I'm going to create a serpent. Let him, let Lucifer fall from this planet, fall from the heaven, and he's going to be expelled to earth, and I'm going to let him rule that earth for a while. And I'm going to set out a plan in motion where people have a choice to make, where they can accept Christ as their personal Savior or reject me because I want somebody to sit down at my kitchen table who likes me because I'm me, because I'm God, because I'm all-powerful, I'm all-omnipotent, and I feel the same emotions they feel, and I'm lonely sometimes for fellowship. That's why he wants you. One of the reasons he wants you in church on Sunday, too. Did you ever think of that? And so he went to such extremes. He says, hey, Jesus... Somebody's going to have to do something about it. Can you go down there and die so they can live? And each one of us have that opportunity. And he wanted that plan to work out for us. And the second cross is, is right there in 4, 5, and 6, where one defiled Christ, defied Christ and said, I'm going to earn my way to heaven. I think I can be good enough to get there. I'm not so bad. So, sister so-and-so is worse than me, you know. And I didn't cut 23 kids' heads off last year like the guy who's getting in court right now this week. There's just all kinds. We make up all kinds of excuses. And I'm going to do this. After all, that's what Lucifer fell to, pride. And he was going to be good enough to please everybody besides God. And so... Here we have the second cross. The principle was violated. 
when God goes on and punishes him. That was several years after Adam and Eve seen the first cross and heard it demonstrated. Where's the third cross, preacher? Where's the third cross? I have to find it here. First, second, and third cross. Let me get it. One. Okay. And it, that's the third cross. Where's the second cross? One. I got it. I got to get it. Hmm. Mm-hmm-hmm. He says, you you joked around enough. I'm going to humble you a little bit, and I'm not going to put in the, the cross. I got it right here in my Bible somewhere. Mm-hmm. Oh, 4-4 four, four is what we looked at. 321. 321 is what we looked at. The first cross then, 315. And I will put enmity between thy seed and her seed. I didn't, I didn't note it at first. But the first cross is, does it make sense to you now? It came after the, at the curse in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and thy woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise his head, and thou shalt bruise, thou, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That's the promise of a Savior, a promise of a Messiah. That's echoed in Romans 16.20 and in Revelations 20, verse 2. Uh, I always like Brother Rick being here because he usually reads the scripture for me. So what I gave you was the second and third cross. The first cross was actually the one I touched on but did not note it as that was Revelations chapter 20, verse 2. And I'm going to read that to you just a minute. And I saw the angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and great chains in his hand. And he led, laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. We talked last week about being bound, in, uh, or Wednesday night, yeah, being bound in heaven, Satan, and bound in, in hell. Uh, the first cross is... Genesis 3.15, when he told Eve she was going to be the mother of all living and that she was going to birth the Savior that was going to bruise Satan's head. Satan isn't destroyed yet. He's bruised pretty good. But he's going to come back again one day and really get defeated. And the second cross is 3.21. 3.21 is where I elaborated on. And it has got the cross in it on the margin. And it is where the lambs are slain. And in 4.4, we see true redemption is only through the blood of Christ. And that is in in Genesis 4, chapter 4. That's the third cross of the first three in Scripture. Now, one day when I get uh, to where I can't get out of my bed or, or out of my office chair, I might find four or five more. Can you find any more in Scripture? You'll see them all through Scripture. You'll see them in Leviticus chapter 17 where it talks about how blood has to be shed and the Hebrews laid out a law, the, the cultural laws for blood and the penalty for sin. In Leviticus chapter 17, and in Hebrews 9, I'll close. 
in Hebrews 9.12. Hebrews 9.12. And I'll close there in just a moment. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats or calves, but by his own blood he entereth in once into the holy place. Talking about Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost. Verse 11 talks about Christ being, but Christ being became a high priest of good things to come by greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with the hands, that is to say, not this building. Jesus Christ is speaking in the temple about himself, or not Jesus Christ, Paul. And neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered, talking about Jesus now, once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And in verse 22 of the same chapter, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission of sin. And that's why Cain and Abel, one was pleasing to God because he took of his flock. He didn't have complete control, although he knew a little bit about genetics. He didn't have complete control of that flock. It was innocent. But his brother had complete control of those crops if he didn't water them and feed them. And therefore, he dedicated more into it or dedicated himself more into it and became prideful and says, I can earn my way to heaven and ignored the shedding of blood and says, God will be happy with me. God's not going to be happy with you if you give $1,000 to the preacher. Now, the preacher will be happy with you, but God won't be happy with you. He'll be happy if you put it in a collection plate, but he won't be happy if you give it to me. Maybe he will if he... If he well, we'll try it. Uh, I'm just saying, you're not going to be... You're not going to earn your way to heaven. You can make me happy. I, you, don't, you can make me sad. It's not going to affect your path to heaven. But... Think about when you're making God happy and when you're making God sad. That's your redemption process. Oh, God God doesn't want me to miss church. I, I know I'm going over. Just give me another minute and I'll be done. God doesn't want me missing church this Sunday. He told me he was a jealous God. You know, who, who, who are you hugging in the roller skating rink? Who are you putting in God's place? You said something about you had us pray about your son. He's a fisherman, Maximus. He tried, tied flies at Cabela's. He was one of their fly tires. He knows his stuff about fishing. He knows a little about the Bible. If he knew enough, he'd apply it to his life and say, I'm not going fishing this morning. I'm going to see God because I don't want God jealous of me. Oh, preacher, you're just getting right down at it. Okay, let's go with your pocketbook then You want to, if I'm in trouble. Where's your money going? Can I look at your checkbook and see if you're guilty of loving God? Oh, all this, this is for rent. Yeah, I got to have that. I don't see anything in here. Not a check made out. Well, you know, I just, I just give them the change. Okay, did I get my message across? It's, it's just kind of convicting sometimes if you think of God in our nature and what he puts up from us and what he wants from us. 
so much he wants that fellowship with you. Oh, I'm not going to go to church today. It's beautiful out. I'm not going to go to church today. It's too foggy. I'm not going to go to church today. It's too sunny. I'm going fishing. I'm not going to church today. It's too rainy. I, you know, you got an excuse for everything. We have an excuse for everything. Okay, let's all stand.